Welcome. This is not your average musician podcast with me, Isaac Hernandez, and my very disciplined co-host, Dalton McLaughlin. What's going on, man? Um, being disciplined, of course. <laughs> so busy. We're on break. You're practicing every day. I'm playing Call of Duty. Yeah. Gotta, you know, gotta gotta say gotta say it out loud, man. We have a really great episode for you today, guys. We have Master Sergeant uh, Sam Woodhead coming on, and a very unique musician. You know, he's uh, a military man, and he's in an army band, and I've never met anyone in that position, so it should be really interesting. Super excited for that. For and sure. Also, yeah, man. And we're also talking about our 2021 goals. This is our episode that's wrapping up 2020, which has been bumps and roads. But yeah, before but we be, get into Before we that, do that, yes. you know, if you like the pod... Um, and you want to gain insight into the life of a professional musician and what it takes to succeed, then hit that subscribe button or stream on all platforms as well as YouTube. Please help us grow the podcast by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's incredibly helpful and we'll love you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very but, good. So, so I guess I'll go on the hot seat first, you know, because I'm the disciplined one apparently of uh, what my... <laughs> yes. Of what my goals are is uh, I'm getting my teaching certification. So that first job, preferably high school. So that is kind of probably the main focus. I want to get back to YouTube recording, which means I'm not going to make the videos. So Isaac and maybe other people out there, what's up? I can't make the fancy YouTube videos, so I got to pay people, which is fine. That's right. Um, but yeah, I just have so many pieces that I don't even know what to practice sometimes. I just like look, I'm like, well, I have like, I don't know, 30 original compositions I haven't done. I forget like that I like them. I'm like, I haven't played this one in like six months. I'm like, oh, this one's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was like, oh, well, I got to do the arrangements. I'm like, got to practice Bohemian Rhapsody, which is a pain in the butt, and like the 90 Disney songs. And then it, it just doesn't stop. Mm-hmm. It's annoying. Um, but it is what it is. I need more on YouTube, gain more love in the world of music. You can't just be a YouTube star with three lonely little guitar videos. So I got to make more. That's what 2021 is in for me. But what about you? For me, it's making practice a regular part of my life because it's for me, it's more sporadic and I don't know, maybe if some of my students maybe would be surprised to hear that or, or in general, you know, because you think, well, I'm teaching guitar and I'm studying, like, you know, I'm about to go into my master's, start doing music ed. But the practice, you know, it can fall out in any period of your life, you know, if you don't keep up with it. And I hear that from my students all the time. And I, obviously, I can relate to them, you know, especially in the second half of the year. It's just with school and other stuff and not staying on top of it. It's something that started to slip away more and more and Dalton is always texting me like you know I'm practicing what are you doing and I'm like damn it <laughs> I, I think the biggest thing and I know it sounds silly is just get the instrument in your hands because it's a toy that you want to play with and then like if you fiddle around for a second it will register in your brain like I need to actually like focus mm-hmm. or you know if you put something else in your hand like a cell phone or a video game controller like you just you won't even know the instrument's like lonely and bored. <laughs> Isaac. So, <laughs> so just, yeah, just, play, the just play the down, thing, bro. <laughs> yeah, just, just play the guitar or whatever. So yeah, that's, that's it. 
yeah, that's that's the that's the main one for me. And you know, just staying on top and organized, especially again with a master's degree coming up, and you know, I still have to do my job and and things like that. So, get making sure it's a priority and it's scheduled and it's in there on a regular basis, as well as my second goal, which is kind of like in line with yours a little bit, just putting out more content on a regular basis. You know, uh, you I think social media, YouTube and Instagram is at the forefront for us. And we're always talking about it. How like, oh, I want to do this. I want to do that. And just, just, just do on it. Top of that. Just yeah. do it. Yeah. Nike, just bro. <laughs> just do it. Yeah, <laughs> definitely, man. But that's, that's it. I, you know, if anybody out there is thinking about their 2021 goals, let us know what they are music related or not. Um, I would be super interested to hear how you get yeah. on top of those. For sure. But on uh, another note, let's head it over to uh, Sam and get going with his really, really interesting musical career. So <laughs> let's do that. Let's welcome Sam on. All right. So today on the Not Your Average Musician podcast, we would like to welcome Master Sergeant Dr. Sam Woodhead. He is a solo and principal trombonist and section leader of the U.S. Army Band Pershing's Own. He earned his Bachelor of Music from the University of Southern Maine, his Master's from Yale, and his Doctorate from the University of Maryland. In addition to his duties with the concert band, he has performed with the Brass Quintet, Blues, Orchestra Chorus, Herald Trumpets, and Downrange, with whom he toured in Kuwait, Iraq, and Afghanistan as part of the Sergeant Major of the Army's Hope and Freedom Tour in 2006. Woo, a lot. In addition to his musical career, uh, Sam is also a fitness and nutrition CrossFit coach. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Let's, uh, let's just dive right into it. Um, so Sam, can you tell us a bit about yourself, a little bit about your background, what you do, and kind of how your musical journey got you to where you are? Sure. Uh, i got to go back a few years. Uh, so I grew up in Maine, and if you're not familiar with the state of Maine, it's, uh, it's a pretty big area with not a lot of people in it. And uh, the town I grew up in was an old uh, industrial mill town. And at the point that I was growing up, you know, the, the mills had stopped producing a lot of their uh, products, and uh, it was kind of a, a depressed state, really. And growing up there, it... it I really kind of felt like a need to get out and do something and to kind of, you know, see more of what was out there because where I was, was just, you know, uh, there didn't seem a lot of opportunity there. Um, and somehow uh, the, the trombone just kind of became that vehicle for me to escape in some ways. Um, I had no background in music. Nobody in my family played music. Nobody had gone to college in my family. Um, and, you know, my mom delivered mail for the post office. My dad uh, was an electrician. I, I worked for my dad every summer from when I was in junior high through high school, uh, working that trade. And there was a lot of um, uh, fight back from my, my parents, particularly my dad, about, you know, pursuing music as a career. Uh, again, you know, they just didn't have any understanding of it. And it was so far removed from what they knew and also what anyone in that area had ever done. Like they didn't know anyone that was a professional musician. And, you know, their sort of take on that was not favorable. You know, there's not, not something you could, you know, buy a house on, you know? <laughs> so, um, 
it was a tough sell for my parents. Uh, I did uh, go to the Manhattan School of Music for my first year of college. So I went from this small town in Maine to Manhattan uh, like that. And, you know, this was back in 1992. So it was it was a long time ago, uh, back when, you know, having muggings on the steps of the school entrance were not uncommon. And uh, it certainly kind of played a factor into why I didn't stay there. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of what music was for me was it was it was a way to uh, see the world. Like I, I felt like I grew up in a small place and I wanted to see more of it. And music just kind of became that, that way for me to do that. Um, so if we kind of back up a little bit more, one of the things that I did in high school, I was fortunate that I was able to split my senior year of high school between high school and college. So there was a local university about 45 minutes away where, uh, Pretty much every day, I I do half a day at high school, and then I drive to this college, and I would play in their ensembles, um, you know, wind ensemble, orchestra, trombone ensemble, brass ensemble. Like it was a lot of playing, and that really, you know, got me excited about playing music. So that's that's really when I decided that's what I was going to do, and um, I ended up going back to that school. So that's the university University of Southern Maine, where I did finish my undergraduate degree. Um. But the teacher I had at Manhattan, I continued to study with him throughout that period of time. I drive down to Connecticut um, where he lived and take lessons every few months. And that was John Swallow, who's for trombone players. He was really one of the, the, the leading figures of trombone teaching in the 20th century. Uh, so after I finished my undergraduate degree, I decided, you know, I, I really wanted to keep studying with him because uh, it was just an amazing experience and the wealth of experience that he had was just amazing. So, and he, he encouraged me to apply to Yale for my master's, which I did um, two years there. And that's when I, I was really on the track of, you know, orchestral performer, college professor, maybe like chamber music, but definitely a career in performance. But I knew that I wanted to get my doctorate because I knew that I wanted to eventually teach at the university level. And obviously the doctorate was kind of becoming the, the, the gold standard for what uh, you needed just to do that job. So I started looking at uh, doctoral programs and uh, a few of uh, the members of my brass quintet at Yale uh, were going to the University of Maryland. And this was a school that I had not really heard of uh, up to that point. Um, I had applied to BU um, and been accepted there but then when Maryland came around, I, I, I looked at it very seriously. Um, and I was really impressed not only with the faculty because they had the entire trombone section of the National Symphony on faculty, but uh, Milton Stevens, who had his own doctorate, which was also kind of rare at that point for, you know, uh, a full-time principal trombone player in an or one of the major orchestras to have a doctorate, you know, most principal trombone players got there without, you know, that academic background. Uh, and to this day, it's still kind of rare to find a lot of doctorates in the professional orchestras. Um, so it, it just seemed like a great fit. And uh, Milt Stevens was 
uh, a nice compliment to the kind of teaching I had with John Swallow, where John Swallow had done a lot of pioneering in 20th century music. Gunther Schiller wrote a concerto for him. He'd premiered pieces by Stravinsky and Boulez and like done a lot of new music. Uh, and John, uh, Milt Stevens was, you know, this really established principal orchestral trombone player, which is kind of what I was hoping to do. So I thought that would be a nice balance and it turned out to be the case. Um, now, getting to Maryland is really kind of where my uh, familiarity with the military bands came from, because up to that point, it just, it was not on my radar. I wasn't, I had no view on it one way or the other. Like I, when I was at Manhattan, you know, way back my first year in college, uh, one of the grad students won a job with one of the premier bands in DC, and we were all really happy for him, but that's pretty much the only experience I had. Uh, nobody else I knew was in those bands. Uh, so when I got to Maryland, I was on what's called an orchestral assistantship. So I, I got paid to play in the orchestra as part of my uh, financial package. And so I, I get there, I'm really excited. I sit down and I meet my section and they're all in the premier bands. Like the, the entire rest of the section are all guys in the, I had a couple guys from the Marine band. I had tuba player from the army band, you know, it's just like, and throughout the rest of the orchestra, you know, there are players from the Navy band and the Air Force band. And I was just kind of like, well, this is kind of strange, you know. Uh, but a lot of those people were closer to retirement and they wanted to finish their degrees or they were really young in the military bands and they were trying to get their doctorate so that they could just, you know, leave the military altogether and, and go teach somewhere. So obviously the, the, what impressed me most was the level of playing. Like these were the best players that at the school were these people with these professional jobs. And so uh, I learned about the jobs through them and also about the, the career path that those jobs have. And uh, it definitely seemed to be an attractive uh, path for me. So um, I was there at Maryland for two years when I won the position with the army band. And I initially did three years with the ceremonial band. So that it's all part of the, the big umbrella of the United States Army Band, Pershing's Zone. It's a big mouthful. But, you know, there were about 250 people and we're kind of broken up into different elements is what we call them. So we have the ceremonial band is one element, the concert band is one element. And so when you were reading my bio and you, you have all these different names, like we're all part of the same family, but we all have our separate little groups that we play in. So, I mean, it's kind of like being at school and you've got this group and that group, but you all go to the same school. So it's, it's kind of the same thing. Um, so I did three years. I, I tried to hold on to my doc, uh, my studies at Maryland at the same time. So I, I won the job in like March. I shipped out to basic training in June when school was done. I got back on, <laughs> get this, September 7th, 2001. So I was four days out of basic training and I was on Fort Myer when the Pentagon got hit. And if you know anything about DC, Fort Myer and the Pentagon are like that far apart from each other. So that first semester was really kind of strange because I was in the band and the first few, like the first month or so, not much was happening because we were in kind of crisis mode. And then when things started getting back on track, you know, it was really chaotic. And so trying to juggle that against going to school full time was really getting hard. So I only did one semester and then I'm like, okay, I, I just need to stop going to school full time. 
fully intending to finish, but just focusing on the job and getting, you know, comfortable there. So um, that, you know, short amount of time turned into a couple of years. And then Milt Stevens is like, hey, uh, you going to finish this degree sometime? <laughs> so uh, I finally got back on track, uh, but I had uh, since moved to the concert band. So I'd won the audition for the, the solo principal spot. The concert band moved over uh, into concert band. And I guess it's 17 years that I've been there now. And um, I eventually did finish my doctorate. It, it took me a long time. Uh, let's see. So I started in 99 at Maryland, and I think I finished in 2011. Does that sound right? Yeah, <laughs> somewhere around there. It was a, it was a long time. And <laughs> this, it's the, I mean, I could spend the entire time talking about the tragedy of this degree, but... Uh, Right as I was re, I actually had to reapply to the School of Music at Maryland uh, through a long, convoluted process, and Milt was kind of helping me through it. And right as I was about to do it, Milt Stevens died, and so you know my biggest advocate for getting me through this degree suddenly passed away. You know he was not it. You know it was very unexpected, and. Uh, you know, that was like that summer right before I was supposed to go back. And anyway, uh, long story short, I did finish. Um, it took a lot of work. I had two young kids at the time that I was trying to finish this up. My daughter had just been born. So uh, finally finished. Um, I'm glad that I did. And since that time, I've, I've just been, you know, working in the band, um, keeping busy there and, you know, that's a full-time job unto itself. Uh, when I was younger, I did a lot more outside work, uh, subbing with, you know, the orchestras, Baltimore National Symphony. Um, I used to play a lot more shows at Signature Theater. And as I've gotten a little bit older the past few years, I've kind of scaled that back primarily just because uh, my family, I just, I need to be home more. And, uh, the nice thing about the military bands too, is that the longer you're in, the more you make. So financially, uh, it just became less attractive to leave the house at night. And it's like, I, I, I'm, I'm just fine right here. You know, I'll stay home with the kids and help them with their homework sort of thing. So uh, that's pretty much, you know, the, the career in a nutshell um, as to how I got there and all that sort of stuff. But there's, there's obviously a lot of stuff there, that, you know, about the right. bands themselves and how they work that we, we can talk about. For sure. Cool. Yeah. A lot, a lot going on. Um, uh, nobody, at least knock on wood, when I went to MSO, nobody's getting mugged there anymore. Um, cause I, I had friends or not friends, but some teachers who had said like in the nineties that they would even up there like, well, we all kind of like went together in packs because you never know there. I'm like, well, glad it's not like that. But what I wanted to ask you is, you went on tour with the, uh, the band a lot. And was there any place that was like your favorite uh, to travel or to play in? Or was it more of like a business with the army? Or was it still kind of fun, like touring with the band or kind oh, of that? Yeah, it, it's a lot of fun. Um, so first thing that is a misconception that we do a lot of touring. I've certainly been on a fair number of trips over my career, but I'm very lucky that in the army in particular, of all the, the special bands in DC, 
uh, the Army has a completely separate band based up at Fort Meade called the, the Army Field Band. And they're the ones that tour the entire U.S. every year. So they're on the road literally half the year. And because of that, we don't have to do a tour. So like the Marine Band will do like a month-long tour. The Navy Band, Air Force, they all do that. We don't do that. We do go on trips. Like we'll go to the Midwest Band Clinic. Uh, we've been to China. We've been to Norway. Um, and we've done other you know, trips to California, Florida, you know, different places, Texas, but they're usually short at, at most a week, uh, kind of targeted for a particular performance or a set of performances. We don't go on like a long tour where we're playing one city after another, uh, like those other bands do. Um, but having said that, uh, yes, uh, traveling with a band is, is a lot of fun. And when, the sequester happened several years ago. A lot of that travel kind of shut down. Um, so, you know, we used to play in New York. We'd play in Avery Fisher Hall every year uh, for Veterans Day. And we did that, you know, it feels like for 10 plus years, uh, maybe even more. Um, we played in Carnegie Hall. You know, we've done all sorts of trips like that. And once that happened, so it, to me, it still feels fairly recent, but it's probably been seven or eight years if I actually look back on it, uh, that we haven't traveled as much. And so now our trips are, again, like we go to Midwest about every four years. Um, we used to go to Texas almost every year too. Uh, so a lot of that has scaled back and it's more local. You know, we go to places that are kind of what we call the national capital region. So it's like a, maybe a two hour driving window. Uh, but I think this is something that might be a little bit more unique to the military bands and that there is much more a feeling of camaraderie, esprit de corps, if you will. Um, uh, I think because our jobs are different and we have to deal with certain situations and pressures that other professional musicians don't have to deal with. Um, you know, musicians have unions and, you know, certain things that you kind of adhere to where, you know, uh, we don't. And if the army decides that they want us to sit out in the cold and rain and get rained on, uh, for a concert, there's not much we can do about it. <laughs> you know, it's like, and, and that has happened. Uh, you know, I, I won't say anything in particular, but there were some fairly high level events where we're out there and our, our soundboard equipment is getting rained on and getting ruined and our music is getting rained on and ruined. And, we're cold and shivering and we're there and there's, that's, that's, that's our job. You know, it's like, okay. And so when you kind of endure that sort of stuff, uh, you get, you know, you definitely get closer with your, your colleagues. And so uh, traveling is one of the few times where we get to really just kind of have fun and hang out together. Cause most of the time, you know, we go in for a rehearsal, go in for a concert, we go home, you know, we don't live on barracks. We live in our own private homes in the communities here in, in the suburbs of DC. So these trips are really an opportunity to kind of have fun and, you know, just kind of, you know, there's nothing else to do except hang out with your buddies. So um, I've been very fortunate that, you know, in, in particular in my trombone section throughout my career, I've, I've had guys that I've, I've gotten along with really well. And that's a big part in our hiring processes too, is having that interview, which is uh, maybe unique 
you know, most professional orchestras don't have an interview, maybe. Um, and again, you know, these jobs are kind of career long appointments, you know, that we don't have a tenure process. Primarily, if you get in, you're, you're there. And most people that get these jobs stay their entire careers, which can last 30 years. So you want to know something about the people that you're sitting next to. And so that's why we have the interview so that we can learn more than just how well you play, because you're going to be sitting next to this person through some tough times. And uh, again, I've, I've been fortunate that I've had some, you know, really great people that I've been able to sit next to. I've just recently gone through a, a section change where I was the youngest guy in my section, even though I was the principal and solo trombone player, I was the junior guy in my section for almost my entire career in the, the concert band. And it's only in, I think the last, I think it started about two years ago and it finished just last year where the, the, the entire section just flip-flopped and I became the oldest guy because I was the only one left. And now everyone I've, I've hired since then are all younger than me. And so I went from being the youngest guy by about seven years, which wasn't a big difference to being the oldest guy by 10 so the next oldest guy is 10 years younger than me. And the youngest guy in the section is 20 years younger than me. And so it's been, it's this complete, you know, flip-flop, but it's great. And, you know, I have, it's, it's kind of fun uh, hanging out with the, the young guys and, and doing stuff with them. You know, I try to be a good uh, section leader to them and we do fun things. So we'll, you know, we used to get coffee pretty much every week uh, just to kind of hang out and, uh, and when the quarantine happened, we do, you know, like virtual happy hours uh, once a week too. And, you know, we still get together and them being young guys, they, they like to send very strange memes and things like that, that I don't understand. And just, just to make me feel old, but uh, yeah. I mean, so you guys are, are uh, not to butt in, but that uh, trombone is cause uh, I'm student teaching and my guy is a, he's a trombone player. Mm -hmm. So I feel like, like trombone jokes are like mutual and i i don't get half of them like the kids were uh saying because we're all on computers and they i don't remember what i said but they told me bonk and i had no idea and they were all dying laughing it's like oh you know a trombone you like bonk things so i, I had a moment as well where i could relate i'm like i don't get some of these jokes where like in the trombone world is way different than guitar where they thought it was hilarious like bonk that was it well, it yeah. makes you feel better. I don't get it that either. It so. went over my head. So <laughs> I was just like, okay, I guess the, the kids have jokes like yeah. high school as well as like kids that are probably my age. So, yeah, I spend more time like trying to figure out what their <laughs> messages mean, <laughs> but it's good. Um, so I kind of derailed a little bit because I talk more about the people than the trips, but uh, the, the trips are definitely a lot of fun. And I'd say you know, the, the trip to China was one of the most amazing experiences. Uh, so it, it's a very strange thing. We did this cultural military to military event, and it was actually the first military to military between the Chinese and the Americans. And it was our bands. And that was really kind of cool. So what happened was, is we hosted their band first, People's Liberation People's Liberation of China Army. It's a long title. So their band came to the United States and we hosted them and we played, uh, we played at the United Nations. We played in, where did we play in New York else? Was it? Might've been Avery Fisher for that one. 
don't remember right now. And then we played in Philadelphia and then Washington, D.C. at the Kennedy Center. And, you know, it was a, it was a great experience, you know, got to meet these people. And uh, then, you know, they reciprocated. I think it was two years later that we got to go to China. And it was it was an amazing they treated us like royalty. I mean, we were in some of the nicest hotels and towns. We went to Beijing, Nanjing and Singapore. And it was just amazing. Uh, and, you know, we were completely free. So like when I was in Singapore, this was when I had just started CrossFit, too. So I'd like I'd only been doing it for about six months. And uh, I had been doing all this research. I'm like, at, at that at this point, this was, I guess, almost eight years ago in China. There were like three or four CrossFit gyms in all of China. I mean, now there's like hundreds in Singapore alone, probably. Uh, but there was one in, in Singapore. Sorry, I keep saying Singapore, Shanghai. <laughs> I don't know why I'm getting them mixed up, Shanghai. And uh, so I, I had all figured out and uh, like, you know, the web page was cryptic. And, you know, this is, again, internet eight years ago, we forget. Like it wasn't quite as <laughs> detailed as it is now. So uh, all by myself, you know, here I am this, I think I was a, Sergeant first class at the time in, in Shanghai and on this official military trip, I, I, I hail a cab. I don't speak Chinese <laughs> and I go completely on the other side of the city. I mean, and this is you know one of the biggest cities in the world and I don't know where I'm going. I just have this address written down on a piece of paper <laughs> and I get out and I'm like, you know, I don't know where I am. And it's like, there's no signs. And so I'm walking around inside this building and eventually I find it like, it's this really strange setup. Like it's in this apartment building and they were like, in all these, they had like three rooms that were the gym and you had to walk from one room to the other. And it was all these like Australians and British expats. And it was like, it was great though. I still have the t-shirt, but it, it was really strange. <laughs> and, you know, just thinking about that is like, wow, this is, I could get in a lot of trouble if uh, something bad happened to me right now. Um, but that was, yeah, definitely one of the most memorable experiences uh, was going to China. Uh, sorry, that was a long, long story. No, that's fine. No, it's, it's uh, no, that's totally fine. Um, it's really interesting. And, uh, you know, because especially the guests that we've had so far, they're uh you're the first one it's a i think by far you're probably the most unique that you know having your military and traveling experience that um you know we just like dalton i can relate to and a lot of the musicians we had are just you know like you said more regular career musicians you know from like mm -hmm. opera or just session guys and things like that so yes yeah, it's, it's totally fun we're uh totally fascinated <laughs> uh, yeah but um i did i did want to ask about the music scene in the Washington area and what that's like. And especially if you, you know, with all the band guys hanging out there, what, what do you guys play or do, you know, what, what's that like? Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of surprising actually. Um, I was really surprised as well because you would think with the population of DC and there's already, you know, the national symphony, there's also the, Kennedy Center Opera Orchestra, and then there's the Baltimore Symphony, and there is a Baltimore Opera Company as well. I mean, you're talking about four pretty big orchestras in that 
you know, Baltimore, D.C. area, uh, that there would be no work, let alone all the military bands, right? <laughs> so, you know, we have four premier military bands in D.C. There is the Naval Academy Band just in Annapolis, and then there's the Army Field Band in Fort Meade, which is just outside of Baltimore. So six military bands. Our band alone has 19 trombone players. So you start throwing like that many professional players into a market like that, you figures like, well, there's, there's nothing to do. Right. But it's actually the opposite. There's, there's plenty of work. Um, I was, I was really kind of surprised, like, you know, talking to my colleagues when I first got there, you know, I had been working as a freelance musician when I started at Maryland, you know, I, I played in the Haddonfield Symphony up near Philadelphia. I was in a brass quintet at the time, the monumental brass quintet. And, you know, we were hustling and trying to do things. And, you know, we certainly had had work. Uh, but when I got to the band, I was like, well, what do you guys do? It's like, oh, well, I play here and I play there. And I've got this church job and I've got these shows and all this stuff. And I have this many students. And I'm like, wow. And just that, I think the... There are a lot more people in this area than you might think, just kind of spread out a little bit more. But also, it is a, one of the you know most cultured, well-educated cities in the country. You know the the sort of all all that goes along with the federal government. You know you have all those employees, and then you have all the companies that support those agencies and things like that. So generally speaking, you know it's a very you know. Uh, like I said, cultured and appreciative uh, audience. So there's there's a lot of regional orchestras. There's a lot of shows. There's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, so and and then you know the teaching side of it too, where you know education is uh, very highly thought after. So you know there's there's a lot of teaching to be done too. So uh, yeah, I, w I was really surprised. I, I kept myself extremely busy when I first got in the band. Uh, being part of the ceremonial band in particular, you're a little bit more flexible in your schedule because you, the, you're much more a, a person in a uniform holding an instrument when you're in the ceremonial band, as long as they have, okay, we have X amount of trombone players, we're good. They didn't care that it was staff sergeant so-and-so and this person because we didn't, we didn't really rehearse for these jobs because they were very simple. We did the same thing all the time. Primarily the biggest jobs that they cover are full honor funerals and you're just playing simple hymns and marches and they don't rehearse for them. You just go out and you do the job and you come back. Um, versus what I do now in the concert band. Well, yeah, you got to rehearse for a concert. So if I'm here for one rehearsal and then not the concert, that can cause some issues. So they need to make sure that the same people stay for, for that sort of thing. Uh, so being part of the ceremonial band had the flexibility of like, well, I got a rehearsal, so can you cover this job and I'll do your afternoon job so I can do this. And, um, so that worked out great. Cause I was able to play, I did a lot of shows, um, signature theater arena stage. Um, there's also a fair amount of, uh, recording work actually in this area too. Um, primarily with the music publishing companies. So I do all the recording for Alfred and, uh, they have a subsidiary company too that they they do uh, Bellwin some some other ones where you know they put out this library of concert band music and marching band music and all this stuff and 
what better place to get professional wind band players than DC. So they, they, they come here and they schedule a couple of weeks at a time and just record like we go for like six hours a day for four or five days in a row recording all this uh, concert band music. And, uh, you know, usually we can make it work. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so um, it, I kind of tell people it's like, you can be as busy as you want to be uh, really in this area. Um, and there, there are certainly people in this area that are making a living just as freelance players that aren't even in the military bands. You know, there, there's enough uh, going on that that's, that's possible. That's so interesting because, you know, I've been lived in the New York area like my whole life, basically, and Dalton's from California. And, you know, such a contrast, everybody's trying to get into New York and it's mm -hmm. so saturated. And even though you, you said there were, I forget, like a fair bit amount of trombone players and it might sound like a lot, but I'm sure it's nowhere near as many as New York. And, you know, it's obviously enough to go around in an area that, I did, like you said, it wouldn't occur to me, you know, that Washington, D.C. has so many opportunities yeah, yeah. i mean I, I don't want to make it sound like hey come on everybody and you know, <laughs> uh but you know it can definitely support what we have mm -hmm. um yeah I, i obviously i went to school with people that are in new york now and i have a lot of colleagues there and yeah i mean I, i think that there are there's a lot of work there there's a lot of great playing and uh but yeah that, that market is a lot tougher to to crack into i think and really saturated yeah And, and, you know, again, you know, the, the level of playing is, is commensurate. You know, I think the, the level of playing in New York is extremely high. And I think the playing in, in DC is really high too, just because of the, uh, you know, all the professionals that, that work here. But I think that's why they're able to do so much is because, you know, you can hire a, a pickup orchestra and know that you're going to get great players where mm. if you're in another smaller market that doesn't have that, you know, pool of professional players, you know, it's requires more rehearsals and things like that. So it's mm -hmm. just financially harder to put that stuff on. If you, if you can't just kind of like, Hey, two rehearsals in a show or one rehearsal in a show. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's pretty crazy. Um, we were, when we, Dalton, he's always scouting for guests on Instagram. And I remember him, he sent me your profile, like, Hey, check this guy out. Should we get him on? And I was flipping through and I was like, bro, This guy's living my ideal life. He's just doing deadlifts, <laughs> squats, and practicing music. I was like, yes. And um, I wanted to ask you about how fitness plays a role into your life and, you know, if it helps with music at all or, or like the benefits that you see anything you can say on that subject. I know that it, you know, just from your feet, that it's obviously a big part of your life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh I'm glad we got here because this is this is certainly something that has um, become a bigger part of my life recently, and it's kind of like I'm I'm this this whole quarantine time and like has really given me a lot of time to think about my direction forward, and especially because in the in the army I can only stay to a certain point. Uh, I think. Right. I'm actually almost at 20 years. So that's, I could retire at 20 years. So I'm actually pretty much at retirement age, but I could stay longer and I probably am going to, but even at that longer stage, we're only talking, I think 10 more years, which I know for you young guys doesn't seems like forever, but for me, 10 more years, is kind of like, that's going to be gone like that. You know, it's like my kids will be out of the house and then it'd be like, it'll be there. So I'm definitely trying to start 
you know, looking ahead to, to what I want to do. So this has been a lot of growth for that is like looking ahead and it's like, how do I see myself and what can I offer people? So you have to understand is that, you know, people know me now and see me now and think I've always been an athlete, which is, makes me feel great. It's like, well, I, I makes me feel good about myself, but I was not, I mean, all through high school, college, I was a chubby kid. I could not run around the track once. Literally, if I had, I remember in high school, I was supposed to run a mile. I ran 400 and then I was done. And I was just, you know, I was always kind of strongish just because my dad was an electrician and I worked for him. So I was used to kind of carrying stuff and digging ditches, but I wasn't, I wasn't like football team strong. You know, I was average kid kind of strong. And I always kind of thought of myself as kind of a strong guy, but it's like, if I went to the gym, I'd get outlifted by people all the time. And so I'd go through periods of where I'd, I'd kind of go, you know, friends would drag me to the gym and I'd lift weights here and there and net, you know, no idea what I was doing. Uh, but always, you know, never doing cardio, uh, never really doing fitness, just trying to, you know, lift, do some bodybuilding sort of stuff. And, um, but when it came time to start looking at the military bands, that was like, oh, I actually need to be able to do this. And, you know, there's a very set list of things on, on the Army's side is like, you need to be able to run this fast. You need to be able to do this many push-ups and this many sit-ups. And you need to be this big. <laughs> like, you know, and at that point, when I was looking at that job, I was too heavy. Um, I was probably 30 to 40 pounds heavier than I am now. And uh, again, I couldn't run. So I started at Maryland, you know, actually using the gym and doing things that I didn't want to do, like running and got myself. And I would say I did this in a pretty unhealthy way, uh, but I, you know, I crash dieted, you know, I got myself down and I got to the point where I could run. But I, again, I'd had no plan. It was just like, I need to be able to do this to have this sort of job. So I shipped off to basic training, knowing that I kind of met their basic standards and somehow survived basic training. Um, you know, I didn't, you know, set the world on fire in terms of fitness by any means, but I, I did what I needed to do. And when I got to the band, I failed my very first PT test. And that was kind of a wake up call because that's the one thing that the army band can't really do much about is like, for the army, you have to pass that test. And there had been a period in the past, not too long before I got there, where they treated the PT test as a joke. You know, they would tell me stories of guys like, oh, they'd only make you run like a mile and a half. And they'd, they'd ask you how many push-ups you did, and they'd just write it down. Like, they really didn't do it. Uh, but those days were gone, and now they were being strict. And, you know, I had to do it. And I was having a hard time. Um, so I was like, wow, uh, I'm going to lose my job that I just won if I don't keep myself in shape. So there, you know, two sides of that coins, you know, some people think of it as a punitive, like, got to do it, got to do it. Therefore, because you're making me do it, I'm going to hate it. And I decided to try to look at it from the other perspective is like, they want me to be in shape. They're giving me time every day to do it. It's not like they're asking, you know, they literally have times of the day for PT and 
you know, the band was, they didn't make you do PT. They kind of expected you to do it on your own, but there was definitely plenty of time in the day to do it. You know, your working day for the band might be as much as four hours, but it's not going to be eight. And so they kind of like, okay, this is our time for doing the music stuff. The rest of the day, take care of the other army stuff you need to take care of. And they just wanted you to do it on your own. So I got to the point where it's like, okay, I'm going to, you know, do this. And there were enough younger guys in the band like me. I say young, I was 27 when I got in the army. So I wasn't that young, but for, for guys in the band, that was kind of on the younger side. Um, that's kind of typical for how old they are when they get in. And so, you know, we were, we'd go to the gym together. We, again, it was pretty much just, you know, bodybuilding, bro lifting sort of stuff. And, but now knowing that I had to run, you know, I'd get on the treadmill and I'd, I'd keep myself, uh, healthy enough to do that. So I never failed another PT test, uh, but I never took it, you know, super serious either. Uh, it was just kind of like, okay, PT test is coming. Make sure I'm in shape. Okay. Good to go. And I never just let myself get too far. So we would do two tests a year and you'd also get weighed in twice a year. Now we get weighed in four times a year. Um, so I was, there was always that like accountability is like, don't, don't let it get too far. You know, the needle needle would swing a little bit each way, but it wouldn't get too far. So it's like, okay, I I'm good. Um, but the CrossFit side of it didn't creep in until I was really finishing my doctorate. And that's kind of like, I, I was getting older. So I was, I was 38 when I started CrossFit. So like 36, 37, I was finishing my doctorate at Maryland and I, was also in that age category in the army where the PT test was getting easier and easier. So as you at, and again, the army's just changed the PT test, but it used to be graded on different age categories. So the older you got, the easier the test got. And I was getting to that point where it's like, ah, I don't really have to try that hard to pass anymore. It's kind of like I, and I was starting to show it. I was spending more time, you know, working on my degree, more time doing other stuff. I had two young kids. And I was definitely not in the same sort of shape I was like five or six years ago. So uh, a friend had recommended CrossFit. Um, I'd, I'd had that in my head for a while. I knew people that were doing it years and years before that, but I never really understood what it was, never tried it, um, thought I knew what it was, but I didn't. And uh, my son was going to a kindergarten and... I remember it was like on my 38th birthday. I'm like, okay, this is, I'm going to do something. And there was this CrossFit gym, like a block from where my son went to kindergarten. I'm like, perfect. You know, it's like, and, and you know, looking at the schedule is like, all right, this is great. I can do the, you know, the classes at the time were short, you know, that gym started, they used to just do half hour classes. And, uh, then they moved to 45 minutes. Now they do the full hour. Now we're back to 40 minutes because of COVID. But um, at the time I was like, wow, I can, I can do this workout. I'm going to get in shape and it's going to take 30 minutes. It's right there next to my son's school. And they even had a kid's program. So I'm like, my son can even do it with me. So there were all these really uh, enticing aspects to it. Um, and, you know, I just, I just walked in cold. You know, I emailed them like, hey, can I check it out? And they're like, sure, come, you know. So I literally just walked in and did my first class. And I, I had, I think, just the week before done my most recent Army PT test. And I, I passed at a recent score. 
And here I am with all these civilians and they mop the floor with me. And I'm just like, I'm supposed to, you know, I'm in the army. Like I'm supposed to be fitter than you guys. And I wasn't like, I'm pretty sure there was a, you know, soccer mom pushing a stroller who kicked my butt that morning. And so I got intrigued. I was like, well, how there's got to be something to this. And so obviously, Isaac, you've done CrossFit. So you kind of know how it, you kind of get that bug really fast. And there, you know, I, I, I definitely dove in head first on it. I was like, this is, I mean, it was terrifying. Uh, I remember, you know, driving up to class and one day and seeing people outside with sandbags on their shoulders running. I'm like, I want no part of that. And, but I'm like, well, I know I'm going to feel better when I'm done. And so I, I, the first few months were really mentally tough, like just making myself go. Uh, but the results were happening really fast. Like I, I lost weight. I, I was looking better. And, you know, it's, it's like when other people see it in you, that's really kind of when you know something is happening. And uh, it, it wasn't long before I decided to take my level one uh, course. I think it was in that first year. And because it was working so well, I decided that I wanted to offer this to my colleagues in the military band. And CrossFit offers military affiliations. So you can, it's actually free. And they provide insurance and actually it's a really cool deal. So I set up my own military affiliate. So Blackjack CrossFit, you know, that's uh, General John Pershing. His nickname was Blackjack. And so that's where that name came from. And I started offering, you know, free classes. So that's the whole thing with the military affiliation is that it has to be um, free and only available to active duty military. So it was great. So I used the facilities on base and, you know, I had people doing wall balls off the basketball uh, backboards and people thought we were crazy. Uh, still do. Um, but that's kind of how we've existed. You know, we, uh, it's, I've worked with people, you know, it's primarily for the people in the band, but it's not just for the people in the band. So people will message me from that are dropping in from different bases. And it's like, Hey, I see you've got a military affiliate. Can I come to a class? It's like, yeah, great. So I've actually got, it started with just me. And now I have two other coaches and we've worked with a lot of people, especially with the new army it's called the ACFT, the Army Combat Fitness Test. It's almost like a CrossFit workout. And so with that coming, like there is a whole long ramp up to that. We've had a lot of people coming to us to get ready for that test. And so we've worked with a lot of people over the years. I worked with people getting ready for ranger school and uh, all sorts of things. So it, it's been a lot of fun doing that. Um, I've also been coaching at, at CrossFit Reston, which is the gym that I've been going to for the, the entire time. Uh, I went on, I got my kids certification, which I, that's how I started that. Reston was, you know, working with the kids program and the teens program, uh, eventually got my level two. And then I've recently passed my level three exam just maybe a year and a half ago, somewhere around there. Um, and, and now, uh, since the quarantine happened, I, I pursued a nutrition certification as well. And so I've, I've been doing that and I'm working with, a a company that also works out of my gym to provide, you know, nutritional coaching for people. So that's, that's really where, um, 
that's the story of the fitness, but how it, it matches with the music is, is a very complicated and hard to understand uh, symbiosis that if, if you don't experience it, you probably just don't understand it. I was always extremely skeptical of when somebody would use some sort of sports analogy in music and it's like, oh, it's like, you know, throwing a touchdown or it's like doing this or it's like, no, it's not. You know, it's like music is nothing like sports. You know, sports, you're, you're fighting against each other. It's one team and another team and you're doing this. Music is we're working together to do something. And that was always my thing is like, now I was very anti-sports. And the thing with this is that it's not a, I mean, there is the sport of fitness, but CrossFit, it's just, it's training, it's working out, it's fitness. And it is very much something that you do in a community. So you do a workout together, um, which makes it, I think, more attractive than playing a sport uh, for me. Uh, I like the collaborative aspect of it versus the, the against each other. Um, but yeah, I was not the sort of person that had any sort of athletic background. I didn't see any sort of connection between fitness and music. I was just the sort of guy that had gotten out of shape and needed to get back in shape. But as I started doing this more, it, it's almost, I mean, th there's a couple of things. So the, the one is that when you feel better, everything gets better. You know, you're, you're, you're sleeping better. Your energy levels are better when you're eating better. You know, you can think better. You're, you're uh, able to focus everything just kind of gets better. And again, like if you don't experience it, you, you just don't get it. It's because if you're in that state where you feel fine, like, it's not like I felt like I was in a daze or a fog or something before until you have that lifted. And suddenly you're like, Oh, I was living. I felt like that every day. And now I feel like this, and this is way better. Uh, yeah, the only way I can say that is like if you, you know, I, I wear contacts, but I see Isaac, you're wearing glasses. It's it's maybe like if you 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 think you're fine and then you clean your glasses, then you're like, oh, <laughs> this is what wow. it's like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's that sort of feeling. It's like I just remember walking, you know, from my car into work one day and it's like, man, I feel good. <laughs> it's like there was just nothing happening. I was just walking like my legs feel strong, like I feel good. I'm sitting in rehearsals, like, I feel like I can focus on my music and like, I'm not drifting off and like losing where I am able to pay attention and listen more what's going on. So that's the sort of subtle things that go along with it. And then there are other things too, where like, it, again, you guys are young, so you haven't probably experienced the, the, the wear and tear in your body of playing an instrument. But I mean, every instrument has its, uh, you know, idiosyncrasies. So like there are no symmetrical instruments, you know, everything has something where one arm is in a different place. So the trombone, like one arm is holding the trombone like this, where the other one's doing this the whole time. And I've had a lot of issues with my shoulders, uh, sitting, I've had issues with my back. And I was experiencing this before I was 38, you know, I'd already been in the band for 10 plus years at that point. And then as I started lifting and getting stronger and a lot of those little agging uh, aches and pains started to go away. So that was a much more of a direct uh, effect on how I felt and played. And it's like, wow, 
my shoulder doesn't hurt. I can actually play the trombone longer now without like, oh. I remember I used to like when just picking it up off the stand, like, like if I picked it up with the arm that held the trombone, like, oh, like that would hurt. So I would use this arm to pick the trombone up and put it in this arm just because that used to hurt. <laughs> and it's like ridiculous. Like it's just, you know, the thing weighs like seven pounds. Like why, <laughs> why would that hurt? Uh, but it's just like, you know, it's, you know, you hold an instrument for hours a day and you're know, like, so this art, this shoulder doesn't do anything except, you know, stay stable. And this arm's doing all this moving stuff. So I remember the, the first time I saw a chiropractor and, you know, I took my shirt off and she looked at my back and she's like, what do you do? <laughs> was her first question. I, I mimicked the, the position of holding the trombone and she, uh, she understood. And, but yeah, she said that she thought I had scoliosis just because my, my back and my shoulders were so contorted that it didn't look normal. And, you know, I've, I've since worked a lot to try to, you know, work out those balances and obviously, you know, uh, some lifting, you know, as long as you're doing uh, isometric movements, you know, where you're working one arm at a time can really help uh, work on those imbalances. So, um, yeah, that's kind of the, you know, the, there's the indirect and then the direct. So the, the direct is definitely like the aches and pains and things like that. I feel better because of my aerobic capacity. Um, I feel like I can take more relaxed breaths. Um, and then, you know, the, the, the intangibles of just when everything feels better, everything feels better. Um, the last piece too, is just a, a level of confidence. Um, I feel like I remember I, I had to play this solo with the band at a big concert uh, in front of the monument at uh, the Washington Monument in D.C. It's it's our big ending concert for the summer. We play the 1812 Overture with the big cannons and all this stuff. And the, the VIP section is filled with generals. So nothing but generals for like first like th 200 or so seats, generals and their families. And you know, I'm coming out to play a solo for memory, this Arthur Pryor solo. And all I could think was like, well, this isn't the hardest thing I've done today. It's like the, the workout <laughs> I did this morning was, was harder than this. It's like, I've been practicing this piece for years. Like I know that I know it from memory, you know, and uh, it's not, it's not going to be that bad. I just have to play what I've done, you know, countless times now. Um, and then the, the last part of it, and, and this might, I don't think this is unique to CrossFit, but it, it feels that way to me. But I think the um, part of it is that CrossFit, it, you know, it encompasses so much, <clears throat> you know, it's basically all fitness. There is no aspect of fitness that we won't do. And because of that, there's no shortage of things to work on. And as a musician, you know, we're always trying to grow, you know, um, when I was younger, I, I was very much into kind of like this sort of growth where I was like, I'm really trying to be a professional orchestral player. And I was really narrow in my approach to music. And now that I'm older, my approach is much wider. And I'm, I'm trying to grow my influences from a lot of different aspects rather than trying to go so deep down one particular rabbit hole. Um, CrossFit is very much that way too, where it's like, we want to get better at everything at the same time, not just better at deadlifting. Yeah. It's great to be better at deadlifting, but I want you to be better at deadlifting and walking on your hands, right? I want you to be better at 
you know, squatting and doing pull-ups. Like there's just all sorts of things. And it's like, yes, you can lift heavy, but how fast can you run? You know, that sort of combination of dis- disparate uh, elements of fitness. So I feel that way, like that has influenced my approach to music as well, where I'm, I'm trying to get broader in my scope. And in the Army Band in particular, that's an asset because we play a lot of different stuff. You know, our typical concert is not just going to be classical music or it's not going to be just military marches. We're going to play stuff from all sorts of genres. We're going to play some jazz. We're going to play some rock. We're going to play some classical music. And so we have to cover a wide range of music. And within the Army Band itself, um, again, as you mentioned in my bio, I've played with the blues, which is a big band. And, you know, when we need subs for the blues, we don't go to a civilian where you might do that in, you know, in another situation, we have to get somebody that wears the same uniform to do that job. So our trombone players have to be able to sit in with a big band, uh, sit in with a brass quintet, you know, do these different things. So um, it's been a good fit for me. And I, I feel like the, that combination of, of uh, a fitness health out view where I'm trying to get better at everything really fits well with how I'm approaching music too, where I'm, I'm trying to get better at everything. It's like, yes, I want to get better at how I play Mahler, but I also need to be able to play, you know, whatever uh, tunes that are, you know, big. I mean, we, we recorded Frozen. So it's like, you know, I've got to do, you know, it's like, it's just some random stuff that we, we have to be able to cover all those sort of different things. Right, right. I, uh, I do apologize. My camera died somewhere <laughs> in the middle. So, but I'm still, I'm still here in audio. That's a great um, picture. Oh, thanks. <laughs> it's, it's just for, for when this stuff happens. So it's not just a black screen. Um, but that I really like that. Um, and especially I've never thought about it like that. The way you said, it's just when you're feeling good, you know, and you're feeling strong. And, you know, how I, I, I think maybe I underestimated that, you know, where you just, like you said, nothing's going on. So you're just, you know, I'm just walking, but like, I'm, you know, the confidence, I'm just puffing my chest out a little more, you know, things like <laughs> yeah. that. I was just feeling good, a little more confidence. And it kind of like seeps into all areas, you know? Yeah, it, yeah. it really does. I, I feel like, <clears throat> you know, the, one of the sayings for CrossFit is, you know, is training for life. And, <laughs> you know, it's little things like when I go for hikes with my son, you know, and just, he, he, he takes great pride in the fact that when we go on hikes, we blow by everybody. Like mm. we just, we just mow them down. Like, just, <laughs> you know, just cause you know, we're, we're in shape and like, you know, we go for hikes and we can, we can hike faster. And it's not like we feel like we're racing up the, the mountain or something. We just, that's just how it feels. And uh, when you just kind of have that energy or, you know, strength in your step, it, 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 it really, it pays off. And, yeah, it's how you sit in your chair. It's like, oh, yeah, I can, I, I sit up more upright. I'm not <laughs> hunched over so much uh, right. all the time. Sweet. Cool. Um, as we're wrapping things up, uh, the last question we have for you, is there is there anything for an aspiring trombonist musician or somebody who's interested in like army band that you would give tips for? Uh, absolutely. Um the army band has uh recently i put out uh, a video on their youtube channel where they actually 
like walk you through an audition, uh, which I think is very helpful because I feel like the, 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 the biggest thing with our jobs is that people just don't know what the job is like. They don't know what the audition is like. It's just a big unknown. Um, and that's not really, it's not that frightening. It's not that different. And I think, you know, starting with something like, what does the audition look like? So they had, they put out this video where they literally like walk you through and like, this is what happens when you walk through the door. This is what happens when you get your practice room. And this is what happens when you walk out on stage. Like it's very, you know, every step of the way. So I think that sort of helps demystify uh, the job a little bit. Um, but as far as the applying for a job and like what sort of things should a musician be working on, I think, and this is pretty true for all the military bands, is that, you know, that well-developed skill set of not just being just an orchestral player or not just being a jazz player. So we've had the same issue too, where we've tried to hire trombone players for the jazz band who are really good at playing improvised solos and playing charts, but you give them a march and they just, they just don't get it. And <laughs> it seems silly, but it's like, well, the same, same is true. Like, you know, just like when they need somebody to sit in the jazz band, the ceremonial band might need somebody to go play um, a funeral or go play in a parade or go play for whatever. And if, if you can't play a march, you know, it's like, well, kind of not helpful. <laughs> it's like, you know, if you're, if you're that specifically good at only one thing, uh, it might be great for uh, you as a, as a career. Like you can probably make a career out of that if you're that good at it. But in the military band, you need to be able to take on more, uh, genres and just be more flexible in your, your skill set. Um, now that doesn't have to be crazy. You know, like uh, if you're, you know, you don't have to be like a, a Broadway musician where you play 20 different instruments, you know, we don't need that sort of versatility, but uh, you'll see, if you look at our audition packets, you know, you'll see standard repertoire, like orchestral excerpts on there the you know the big ones nothing that you've never heard of you know it's for trombone players you're going to see things like tuba mirum bolero uh Mahler three you know just sort of the the standard uh what, what have you but you will see uh, a march or two you might see something like a solo like a bordoni etude um and you're probably going to see some sort of jazz or pop uh element on there too uh, we don't necessarily emphasize that as much, but, you know, it's going to be in there. Um, there is also some sight reading sometimes in the auditions. It uh, depends uh, where that is in the audition process. Not every round might have it. Sometimes they do. Uh, but that's also something that's part of the job. You know, uh, I've, I have been in the situation where I've gotten a call late at night. What are you doing tomorrow morning at you know, five thirty. Uh, other than sleeping, nothing. It's like, okay, well, you know, make sure you've got a good haircut because we need you to play for the president tomorrow. It's like, okay, and it's like, bang, there you go. It's like, and and they're uh, they're just expected to be able to do that. Sit down with like the brass quintet and read through brass quintet arrangements without having rehearsed with them beforehand. You know, generally speaking, they're going to be things that you've played before. Uh, but maybe not recently, 
you know, maybe not in a few months or something. So having that, um, those skill sets where you're comfortable in different genres, you're proficient at sight reading. Again, we're not necessarily looking for people that can sight read, you know, Paganini, you know, like at the drop of a hat, but like, we need to know that you can, if somebody puts a big band chart in front of you, that you're going to know that it's supposed to be swung. And if we put something else in front of you, we know that we need straight eighth notes. And if we put a brass quintet thing in front of you, that you know how to play that role in between those other instruments, you know, just expect you to kind of have that sort of base. So we're not looking for people that are just kind of like uh, unitaskers and they can just do one thing. You know, uh, it's again, cause our, our, what we do is, is much more varied. I'd say it's like being in a professional pops orchestra is kind of more what our job is like than anything else. So, you know, pops orchestras, they play all that stuff and, and we're kind of in that same boat. So, mm. uh, that, and, uh, never too early to start working on your fitness because it is part of the job. So especially in the army, now that they've moved to this army combat fitness test, there, there is a, a three rep max deadlift, you know, along with leg tucks and, uh, standing power throws and sprint drag carry events, and you still have to run two miles. So <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Great. Well, Sam, thank you so much again for, for taking the time, especially today. <laughs> it's uh, New Year's Eve. This is our last recording, obviously, of the year. So thank you. Thank you for coming on. They love the stories. Really unique, unique uh, job. And I, I think our listeners are really going to enjoy it. Well, thank, thank you, you so I, much. I, I appreciate you very much uh, asking me and uh, putting up with my long-winded answers <laughs> and uh, uh, encourage people to reach out. If they do have questions about the band or other aspects of my career, please. I'm, a, I'm an open book and I like telling stories, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll put, we'll put your, uh, your, link, your social links in the, in the description so if people want to get in touch, they can, they can uh, get in touch with you there. Great. Great. So that was Sam Woodhead, everybody. And um, what a <laughs> interesting and unique uh, guy, right? Like he has um, a very unique experiences that I, you know, I don't think a lot of people out there are going to be able to relate to, but are super interesting and obviously a lot to learn from, you know, career wise. For sure. Yeah. I knew because uh, I was uh, talking to him when we said bye unrecorded about just the, uh, the intensity of playing in an army band uh, or any sector of the military. Like I had friends at MSM who ended up doing that and they're just as good as anybody else. And I think uh, if not you know, better, like, I would say, yeah, but like you kind of like, maybe like, I wouldn't say overlook it is the right word, but you kind of forget about it. Like when you, you know, like he was telling us like you turn on the TV or whatever, and you're watching something that has to do with like the president or Pol uh, politics and there's a band there playing live music like he's there yeah so like you forget that like they're so good that like millions and millions of people are watching them play for like the president so like they gotta yeah. be good they're not the gonna put scrubs in the band that's for sure no that's for sure <laughs> so it's cool um to just see how uh multifaceted he yeah. is and he's had to be and and they were really, shreds really yeah they were really interesting 
benefits and requirements that jumped at me, like the benefits, like he said, you know, the more he's in, he gets paid more. And, you know, he has the option of being home with his family a little more, you know, not being as busy with that thing. And that's, that's a big one as, as musicians start to get older, I think. And, you know, you have a family that you want some, you, you need a job, right? Like yep. to keep, keep up the, why that's why we're going to be teachers. We're not good enough for the army band. <laughs> so we're going to, we're going to teach the kids. Yeah. We're going to, which teach is also, that's yeah. good too. So definitely, man. But you know, it's definitely you have to start looking. I think, you know, when you're younger, you're just like, I'm just going to play. And then later it's like, oh shit, I need to, I need to keep, I need to have like a standard of living and finances, yeah. you know, that it's just not gonna, not gonna fly. So that was interesting. And some require like the physical requirements, like there is no other job for musician that requires you to have like a three deadlift, like a three rep max, you know, for, to keep your job playing. Me for the feel band. like a, like a little, <laughs> toothpick over here i'm just like what's my three rep max probably not very high i don't do that so whatever yeah no it's it yeah it was definitely interesting but i would love to have him on again we have oh, we yeah. have questions that we oh yeah for answered. sure <laughs> that's okay there's always more questions for anybody mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. but a different question is if you have not subscribed yet and you made it this far smash that subscribe button leave 100%. us a review on apple podcast um tell your friends about it uh help spread the love of the podcast um we're going to start also just so everyone knows spreading the love of the podcast we're going to start doing advertising so more people out there know about it mm -hmm. i really think once COVID's done we're just going to skyrocket you know because everyone's going to be driving again and when you're driving and commuting you're really bored that's when so. that's when the podcasts come on Yes, that's right. Yeah, so definitely spread the love. It helps us out. It helps the podcast get out there, which uh, would in turn help us out extremely. But I'll, until then, that, yeah. Happy Happy New Year, happy everyone! New Year. Yeah, that's it. And uh, thanks for listening.